0: I invite you to stand with me as we read Psalm chapter 28 this morning, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of David. To you, O Lord, I call, my rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. When I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary, do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now, Lord, that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the words of this, your holy word. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Last week, after the message, to no surprise, it was evident that a great number of you are waiting on the Lord. It's how Psalm 27 ends Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. And so you came to me and said, I'm waiting, brother. I'm waiting, pastor. And waiting, we agreed together, is tough. It's for that reason, at least in part, that I believe the Lord and his providence had the arrangers of the psalms put Psalm 28 immediately after Psalm 27. You see, whereas last week David prayed with confidence as he faced a present difficulty, this psalm works in almost the reverse order. He prays for confidence, if you will, or at least he prays until he regains confidence. Confidence. So we might say that if, for example, last week's psalm could be divided into two parts, beginning with praise and ending in lament, this psalm begins with lament and ends with praise. I believe that the design of having Psalm 28 immediately after Psalm 27 is again, at least in part, to answer the question, what should believers do while they wait? While we wait for the Lord. In Luke's gospel, one of the disciples asked Jesus after he's come from a certain place and prayed, he says to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And I believe that that desire is the heart of this message from me to you today. I want to ask the Lord to teach us to pray. We believe that all scripture is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. And I believe that this psalm could be used to help us to learn how to pray, even when our surrounding circumstances are less than ideal, and it may feel as though God has been silent for quite some time. It's that moment when the waiting turns to deafening silence, where your expectancy, you remember the expectant waiting from last week, where your expectancy ends up lingering, and you begin to wonder if God will ever answer you. So let us learn, first of all, as we consider this psalm, that it teaches us, when you pray, while you wait, be importunate. Be importunate. Now, I don't know when it was, kids or young people in the room, or adults in the room, (laughs) that I learned the vocabulary word importunate. But when I finally did, I clung to it because it is such a cool word. I mean, think about it. If you could throw importunate into a sentence, you would impress, right? Like, that's a great word, importunate. Now, for kids that don't know what the meaning of importunate is, listen very closely. I want you to go home and ask your parents and keep on asking them, begging them, and pestering them until they tell you what the meaning of the word is. Those who know what the meaning of importunate is knows I'm, jo- no, I'm joking because importunate is importunity, I guess would be the noun, is when you are begging and asking to the point of pestering someone. Importunate could be pesky persistence, continuing to ask, continuing to plead, going and tugging on their pants and saying, daddy, daddy, tell me, I want to know what importunate means and just keep asking them until you understand. Jesus gave us an example of importunity when he spoke the parable of the persistent widow. In Luke chapter 18, I'd like to read verses 1 through 8 at length because they relate so closely to what we're talking about this morning. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Do you see the connection? Verse 1 connects us to where David is right now, In the beginning of Psalm 28, don't be silent. I feel like you're deafeningly silent to me right now. Hear my pleas. I've been crying out to you. And Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples, he says, when you pray, you ought always to pray and never to lose heart. And then he said in verse 2, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. see, keep on coming, that's that importunance. Verse 4. For a while the judge refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find the importunate faith that keeps on coming to him, keeps on asking him, The the passage is not teaching us that Jesus is some sort of unrighteous judge. Quite to the contrary, he's saying that if unrighteous people, an unrighteous judge, finally gives in because someone like that widow continues to be persistent, almost to the point of being pesky with her asking, then how much more will a good father, how much more will our good God, who is righteous, Grant us what we ask when we continually cry out to Him. So again, I know that the the circumstances or the occasion for each of these psalms may not have been back-to-back. It may not have been uh, chronological in time. But the editors of the psalm have seen fit to place this psalm right after Psalm 27, where you end waiting on the Lord. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart. So, whereas Psalm 27 ends, and David, he's growing impatient, he's growing importunate, persistently coming back to God and saying, Don't be deaf, listen when I call. Did you look in verse 2 of Psalm 28 where he says, Hear the voice of my please, P L E A S, plural, for mercy. This is not the first time David has cried out to God, Be merciful. And he feels like God has not responded. He hasn't just prayed one time and said, you know what, God is omniscient. He knows what I want, so I'll just leave it there and wait until God does what I want him to do. No, he continues to come back. He continues to persist in prayer. That's our first lesson on prayer from Psalm 28. But second lesson on prayer is at the end of verse 2 where we learn that when we pray, we should acknowledge the source of our hope. David says, I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. David, of course, is referring to the innermost sanctuary in the tabernacle, in which the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat rested. Following the common practice of raising his hands to pray, David goes right to the source Of God's merciful presence. He goes to the source of God's merciful presence. Now, from a New Testament perspective, we know that the Holy of Holies and the Ark and the mercy seat were a type, a foreshadowing of our Lord Jesus. So when we pray, we now gain acceptance or access to God by the blood-sprinkled mercy of Jesus's atonement. Now, for further study, we don't have time to do all the commentary on this, but there's commentary in Scripture on what I'm describing in Hebrews 9 and 10. So write down Hebrews 9 and 10 and read that later to understand how I'm getting this connection point to Jesus from the Ark and the Holy of Holies and the most holy place to Jesus and his shed blood. But let it suffice to say for now that when we pray, as the writer of Hebrews says, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We don't pray with our hands lifted toward Jerusalem, but we can lift up our hands as we pray and acknowledge the source of all our hope, which is the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his mercy that was poured out for us on Calvary. So when we pray, acknowledge that source. Number three, in verse three, this brings us to verse three, where David prays with concern for his own personal holiness. He says, God, do not drag me off with the wicked, which mirrors his concern in verse one, where he says, lest Don't be deaf to me because if you were, if you were silent to me, I'd become like those who go down to the grave, who go down to the pit. In Isaiah chapter 59, we learn that God does not hear the prayers of the wicked and the sinner because they are separated from him by their sin. And what's happening is the agony of God's seeming unresponsiveness to David has him turning inward with consideration for his own holiness and the effect that wickedness of the society he's keeping the people around him has on his own soul don't drag me down with them I'm surrounded by people who are not following you and I'm concerned Lord because you you should hear me like I'm connected to you through your mercy seat I, I have access to you and yet I'm not hearing from you and so what about my soul where am I at don't drag me off with the wicked I don't want to end up like them. If you are living and breathing in St. Mary's County in 2022, you can probably relate. There is wickedness all around us. Sometimes it feels like the higher up you go in society, the more wicked and evil things can seem. John Bunyan once famously said, gold and the gospel seldom agree. Do you find yourself in a boardroom surrounded by people who spurn God and his ways? Are you at meetings at the Pentagon with people who, if you were to become just like them, you would be in fear that your own soul would be dragged down into the pit? A French pastor named Jean-Baptiste Massillon, hope I got that right, (laughs) wrote eloquently about this psalm and the situation I'm describing of being surrounded by Blaspheming unbelievers. He said that he feared that insensibly he might become such a coward as to blush at God's name. Just imagine yourself in that boardroom, in that meeting. Such a coward as to blush at God's name. Such a sinner as to resist the impulses of God's grace. Or such a traitor as to withhold his testimony against sin. And even such a self-deceiver as to disguise his own Criminal timidity in the name of being prudent. I'm going to sit back here and not say anything because I think that's the wise thing to do. Don't be self-deceived, he said to himself. He continued, I already feel that this poison is insinuating itself into my heart. For while I would never have my conduct resemble that of the wicked who surround me, yet I am too much biased by the fear of giving them any offense. I would never dare imitate them, but I'm almost as much afraid of ever even irritating them. I know this truth, that it is impossible both to please a corrupt world and a holy God, and yet I so far lose sight of this truth, that instead of that truth sustaining me in decision, it only serves to render my vacillation all the more inexcusable. What remains for me except to implore your help, O Lord?" Strengthen me, O Lord, because I fear I am ready to fall into the criminal complicity with those who would wish to drag me down with them into the pit. Listen, some of you find yourselves in work environments with drunkards and blasphemers. The lesson of Psalm 28 is you need to pray twice as much as if you were able to surround yourself with good company. Some of you young people who are moving out of your home for the first time, you need to pray twice as much. Keep your fellowship with God up more. Be important. Keep coming. Keep asking. Keep seeking him, lest you be like those who go down to the pit. Pray this prayer. Pray Psalm 28. Lord, don't drag me off with the wicked. Don't be silent to me, God. I want to have fellowship and communion with you, Lord. Teach us to pray. Number four, when you pray, show concern for justice. This is in verse four and five of this psalm. Psalm 28, verse four says, Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Just that phrase is going to tie into the next verse. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. Do you see the comparison? Verse 5. He will tear them down. He will tear them down. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Notice how David says or asks that God be the one who addresses these unbelievers and their misdeeds. Because they have neglected the works of God. Now if we piece this together with other psalms like Psalm chapter 8. I read this morning in our Bible reading plan, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, the work of God's hands is creation. And what has happened is people have spurned God's obvious work around us and they have continued in the work of their own hands, their own works, which show the nature of their wicked hearts, which reminds me, And I hope it reminds you of Romans chapter 1, where God hands over mankind in their own wicked ways because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature, Paul says, rather than the creator, the one who shows himself to us in the work of his hands. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And Paul says they received the due penalty for their error, which is exactly what David says at the end of verse 4. Give them their due reward. Now remember, as you're studying through the Psalms, that King David was in a unique position as judge over his people. His desire for justice is not some sort of personal revenge but one that acknowledges that God is ultimately the one who brings justice. So we, from a New Testament perspective, can simultaneously love those who hate us, pray for those who persecute us, pray for our enemies as Jesus taught us, and also pray like the Lord taught us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is right and good to pray for justice to be done, especially when we acknowledge that justice can only come through the God-ordained means like government that He gives or the judgment He will render at the last day or the wrath that He justly poured out on His Son for the sins of all who would place their trust in Him. You see, this side of Calvary, justice is either covered by the blood or paid for in this life or eternity by the sinner. We will either receive the due penalty we deserve, or we will receive the gift of grace from the Lord Jesus Christ through his shed blood. So pray for justice when you pray. Number five, when you pray, let your prayer turn to personal praise. Again, as we walk through this psalm and we come to verses six and seven, carefully note how this psalm, of David's lament turns to praise. Whether David began his prayer in the dark of night and as the sun rose on the day, his circumstances changed that quickly, or whether perhaps this is simply following the pattern of most of the lament psalms in the Psalter, they begin with lament and turn to praise. David says in verse 6, "'Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard.'" the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. One pastor has said it like this, Those who pray well will soon praise well. Those who pray well will soon praise well. This psalm got me thinking, with its turn of events and how things kind of go back towards what it sounds like at the beginning of Psalm 27. The Lord is my strength, the Lord is my shield, the Lord is my stronghold. It's sounding to me, just to paraphrase Rascal Flatts, like a country psalm backwards. Okay, if you know, you know. So let me give you my best shot at this. You get the Lord back, you get his strength back, you get the heart of faith back, you get his voice back, you get his mercy, you get your song of thanks to him back. Could a front porch swing ever fit into this thing? As we think about the king, as he starts to sing a song from his heart about parting with a heartache, King David playing his guitar, it sounds a little crazy, a little scattered and absurd, but that's what you get when you play a country psalm. Backwards. (laughs) Ever since the search committee uh, was looking at my prodigal rap video, I've been waiting for the right moment to bring in another genre, and you get country today. It sort of feels like that. It just, to me, it sort of feels like the psalm backwards, right? Like he went from confidence to lament, and this psalm goes from lament to praise. Like all the things David felt were missing or potentially faltering in the midst of the storm and the trial in which he found himself go in reverse as he begins to pray. Psalm 27 begins recounting the foundation and the confidence of our faith. But listen, sometimes you just don't feel confident when you start to pray, And Psalm 28 says, that's okay. Pray anyway. And as you pray, watch the Lord remind you of his faithfulness. Watch the Lord remind you of his strength and his help towards you. Let your prayer turn to praise. But then also when you pray, let your prayer turn to corporate praise. Not just personal praise, all the singular language of verses 6 and 7 expands from declaring the Lord is my strength and my shield to in Psalm 28 verse 8 in the beginning the Lord is the strength of his people don't forget that when the Lord Jesus responded to that request of his disciple Lord teach us to pray he responded by teaching them the model prayer he says our father when you pray our father hallowed be your name your kingdom come Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we, ourselves, forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Do you hear as I emphasize the corporate language of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, our daily bread, our sins, etc. You combine that with the ending of this psalm, And it teaches us that when we pray, it is good and fitting for us to offer corporate praise to God, praising his name for being the strength of all his people. David further petitions God on behalf of all of his people. In this way, we say, when you pray, exalt our corporate head. This is how he petitions God for his people. He exalts the corporate head What do I mean by this? I mean it is good and fitting for us to lift up the head of the body we call the church, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul teaches us. It's good for us to exalt the name of Jesus and recognize that our hope is ultimately found in him. See, David prays like this in verse 8. The Lord is the strength of his people. Corporate prayer for his people. And then he, in parallelism, remember this poetry is Hebrew parallel poetry. He explains or expounds on the first phrase with the second. He is, God is, the saving refuge of his anointed. How is God blessing his people? In the anointed one. The The Messiah. Verse 4 of the Easter hymn, Christ the Lord is risen today, might be ringing in your head as I sing, or I say this exalted head. That language shows up in that verse. It says, Soar we now where Christ has led. Alleluia. Following our exalted head. Alleluia. Made like him, like him we rise. Alleluia Ours the cross, the grave, the skies Alleluia We follow him where he leads The cross, the grave, the skies He has won it all for us And in him we have victory in the promise of eternity Because the Lord saves and strengthens his people By saving his Messiah, his anointed one. Our great hope is that the same power that raised Jesus is at work in us. So when you pray, exalt the name of Jesus, petition the Father in his name, in the power of Christ, and in his death, burial, and resurrection. Remember that Jesus himself is our good shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep. Who will carry us forever? So while you wait, be strengthened in Christ's strength, exalt his name, and receive and rest in his work that he has done on your behalf. Trust in his shepherding and tender, loving care as he carries you through the trials you face in this life. Remember, it's not just the skies. It's ours, the cross, the grave, the skies. We follow him in suffering, Paul says, that we may know the power of his resurrection. So trust his shepherding, loving care, as he carries you through the trials you face in this life and leads you safely home to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, sometimes you don't feel like praying. Sometimes we don't feel like waiting But when we find ourselves in those circumstances, I hope you'll remember Psalm 28. And perhaps along with your study notes from today's sermon, you will cry out to him, Lord, teach me to pray. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we... Continually come to you each Lord's day, asking, seeking, knocking, requesting that you would hear our cries for mercy as we call to you for help. Lord, in this room, there are so many varied trials and circumstances and heartaches. And you know each one. Lord, you know of a child who's heartbroken over something happening with his or her parents. You know of the, the spouse who's heartbroken and not understanding how to move forward in relationship. You know of the government employee who is heartbroken over the Changes and the dictates and the various rules and regulations or conversations they face each day. You know, of the teacher who is heartbroken over the struggles his or her children are facing in their homes. Lord, there are so many others. God, I pray that you would hear our cries for mercy as we call to you for help. Lord, we do so lifting up our hands, lifting up our hearts through the shed blood of Jesus, your most holy place, the evidence of your justice and your love. Father, because of Christ, we can come boldly and let our requests be made known to you. Lord, we pray for justice in this county. We pray for justice in this state. We pray for justice in our country and in this world. Lord, we are surrounded by people who go the path of the wicked. We know the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so, Lord, we pray justice is done. But, Lord, until such time as you come and render complete and final judgment, help us to be those who are calling out there is justice at Calvary. You can be forgiven. You can find grace. You can be changed. You can be transformed. Let us never forget that there is a time you are coming back and we're sooner to it now than we were when we started this service. And you will bring justice, and we will rejoice in justice served. But God, until that time, let us rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Lord, let us go with the message of the gospel to them. Father, I pray that our prayer will always turn to praise. Taught by the Psalms that in every lament except one, they end with praise. Help us to find confidence when we pray. At the very beginning, sometimes lacking that confidence. Lord, help us to be reminded of your works. To be reminded of your grace. To be reminded of Christ Jesus. And ultimately exalt our head, the head of this body. And then be able to pray corporately for you to work in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.